We're in a series called Lit, and for those of you that have a high church background, you'll feel right at home today, because Lit stands for liturgy. And how it plays into what we're talking about is we've been kind of being honest about our lives being chaotic, about them being disjointed. Every one of us have a routine that we go through. Every morning we wake up, have a routine. Every every day we get in the, the van, we drive to the school, enter from the west, exit from the east do the drop-off, go to soccer, go to work, you know, hang out with friends, whatever it may be, but we have this pattern of life. And for some of us, these patterns, we really haven't given too much thought to them. We just do them, whether it's, it's what Pop did or whether it's, you know, what everybody else does, these ways of waking up, these ways of doing life are, we just kind of maybe inherited them from our family patterns or, or maybe they were just the easiest things for us to do. But what we're doing in this series is looking at establishing some sense of rule of life, some intentionality about life, consciously applying the plan of God even to the most mundane or repeated habits of life. Instead of just going with the flow, we're, we're trying to live life with intentionality. In this series, we've talked about challenging managed mayhem, that there's a lot of managed mayhem in our lives. Our marriages are just about on the edge. Our families are just about on the edge. Uh, Maybe our finances or our career, that it's like we're just one step from the whole thing becoming a mess. And what God wants to do is to help us establish um, a rule of intentionality so that we can experience, even in the habits of life, we can experience flourishing and his principles. And the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he talks about it to believers Sometimes people read this and they think, well, okay, he's talking to an unbelieving crowd here. He's like, no, he's talking to people like you and me who get caught up in managed mayhem. He says this to them uh, and to us out of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Give some thought to it. Strategize about how you walk. Don't just go through life. He says, uh, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil, that we all experience entropy in life. Everything breaks down, everything decays. Even the best of relationships here have a sense of entropy about them. There is, there is a decay. Even relationship between a father and a son or a, a father and his daughter, there will be an entropy when we don't live with intentionality. And so Paul is kind of shaking everybody, saying, listen, give some thought to what you're doing in the morning. Think, give some thought about how you drop the kids off at school. Give some thought about how busy you are at work, how you talk on the phone, how you do breakfast together, how you do um, waking up time together. Give some thought to it. And so we look at, tri- at, at liturgies as trellises. They are, um, it, it's, everybody's growing something. And you may not be growing what you want, but you are growing something, whether it's an addiction, a temper, an anger, uh, a bitterness, or whether it's life and love and a beautiful, wonderful family, uh, uh, an intimate relationship. Every one of us here are growing something. The question is whether or not are we growing it on a trellis so that it can grow healthy and so that it can grow beautiful and so that it can flourish. And liturgies are these patterns, these structures uh, that we repeat over and over again that, that express the wisdom and the love of God. That's what liturgy is. It is, is 
these simple habits that we have in our life that become the patterns of our life that bring the wisdom and the love of God into everyday life. So three weeks ago, we talked about waking up. And who thought that you could have a liturgy about waking up? Most of us, our, our wake-up habit is brush our teeth, take our meds, grab our iPhone or Android, look at stuff. I mean, that was, that was mine. I mean, it's like just wake up, it goes off. I roll over, kiss Susan once. But, you know, you don't give a full kiss because, you know, you got that, that breath in the morning. It's like, you know, you get a little bit of like, but you're kind of like inhaling while you're breathing. I'm sorry, that was way too much. But, you know, you go to that thing, you reach over, you grab the phone, and you're grabbing the phone not because you want to look at stocks, not because you want to look at the latest news, because you want to find out whether or not you got that running back on your fantasy football team off of waivers on Wednesday. And so what I'll do is I normally would go through this whole pattern. It's a liturgy. But rather what God has challenged me is that as soon as I wake up, I roll out of bed in a nice one move, doesn't have to be pretty, just kind of down out of the bed, onto my knees, and I just say, God, today I give you my life, take my wife, well, don't kill her, but take my wife, and, and just allow your blessings to flow into my life. Real easy things, liturgies, practices, trellises to grow a healthy family. We talked last week about mealtime, that we do it all the time, that mealtime is not about consumption, but rather God is inviting it to be a time of conversation, a time of communing, that you have an opportunity to gather the family together at least once a, a, a day, an opportunity to have that moment together. And then today we're going to be talking about the liturgy or the pattern of conversation that you have with the people around you. In the middle of doing life, we begin to, um, we, we spray talk like a, with a machine gun. We just, we just kind of like converse. We, we yell things out. We say things. And, and when we're living on this edge of mayhem, we begin to develop the language of chaos, whether or not we realize it, but we actually create this language of chaos. And it, it is this um, uh, way that we speak to each other. And we don't really know it. I mean, we're, we're not recognizing it. Let me just give you an example of some of the language of chaos, some of the language that you may be practicing over and over again every single day and every single week that you made with your family. For instance, you might be saying things like, put that down. If you got a four-year-old, put it, put it down, put it down, put it, put it down. I told you to put it down. And then next thing you do, you're doing over here, and it's like, uh, where are you? Hey, put that down, put that down, put it down. If you were to keep track of how many times you have said, put it down, or how about this? Uh, what are you doing now? Or when you call your spouse, what are you, what are you doing now? You know, or, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a thing that you may be doing over and over again. Or you're going to poke somebody's eye out with that. Put that down. Are, are you listening to me? Um, you will never change. Are you, are you going to just sit there? Forget it. I will do it myself. Just think about how often that has been said. Are you just, I, and I know what scenario you got popping in your mind, ladies. Let it go. But yes, I know he's just going to sit there. But that's sometimes the way it is. Um, how about this? Don't talk with your mouth full. Um, uh, you're just like your father's or No, you are your father's son. Um, I don't think this is going to work out. Or I can't stand you. 
you're such a jerk. I mean, just think about, and th- so let me, just, let me just say these all real fast because I think this is the liturgy of a lot of people. Um, so this is, this is what your language sounds like. And in one day, you may say, put that down. What are you doing? Are you going to poke somebody's eye? Are you listening to me? You will never change. Are you going to just sit there? Don't talk with your mouth full. Forget it. I'll do it myself. You're your father's son. I don't think this is going to work out. I can't stand you. You're a jerk. Okay, that's a liturgy. In the Catholic Church, I was born and raised Catholic, and that's, I never became ex-Catholic, but... Uh, we had this thing called the Eucharistic prayer. And if you're Anglican or anything like that, it's a really cool thing. It's, a, it's kind of a, a sequence of prayer, a liturgy that is said over and over again every time you get together and everybody knows it and everybody knows when to kneel. Everybody knows when to make the sign of the cross. All wonderful, cool things. I practice them personally. Um, and, uh, but, but that becomes like our Eucharistic prayer. That's how we talk to each other in, in church. Well, this can become your Eucharistic prayer at home, how you talk to each other. Put that down. Are you going to, you know, and that's the way the language begins to develop, and that becomes our liturgy. And this kind of conversation repeated over and over again becomes so erosive that it will wipe out any relationship. There's no relationship that can stand up to this. See, we get in the habit of saying the, the first thing that pops into our minds Maybe that's your liturgy, is that you're, you don't really know you have a rule. You didn't actually write it down any place. It's not in the hymnal anywhere. But you have a rule of a uh, liturgy of conversation that says the first thing that pops into your mind, you say. That's my, my worst enemy. I mean, because I got the dumbest things that come into my head, and they visit me frequently. And the problem is, is I will just like, Bleh. I'll just like say the dumbest thing, and it just pops out. That's my liturgy. So I have to challenge that liturgy and exchange it for something else. Or maybe your marriage, your relationships, your workplace is a constant stream of sarcasm. Maybe that's your liturgy. Um, You're constantly snipping at each other, uh, sarcastic with each other, just saying the wrong, I mean, just outwitting each other with sarcasm. And then maybe your, your liturgy has this one phrase in it. Again, just like genuflecting, making the sign of the cross and saying, amen. You know, maybe at the end of all your conversations, you end with something like this. I was just kidding. I can't believe you got offended by that. You know I didn't mean that. You know, for some of us, that is like a How Great Thou Art song in church. It is something so familiar, we're constantly saying it over and over again. Maybe for you, your um, response or your way of conversing with people is a statement of superiority, and it's this one. I just tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. You know, it's like as if, it's as if you are like above the earth someplace, and you're in this one place of object, object uh, perception of reality and absolute knowledge over all the earth and the intentions of all the other people. And then when you say, I mean, like you're this creature that has this one vantage point and gets to say what you want. We actually have a name for that. For that. 
That's called God, okay, who, who has a, absolute knowledge of all things. And sometimes that's our liturgy. Well, I just tell like it is. It's like, is that really the liturgy you want to have in your marriage? I just tell it like it is. Um, that, you know, I'm just saying the truth. I'm sorry if you don't, you don't like it. It's like, really, is that what Jesus, do we ever find any place where Jesus says or acts like that? So, um, I think maybe we found ourselves in some of this. I found myself in, in, in what pops into my head. It's hard to be a pastor and, and to have that problem. And if you've been a part of Crosstown for a while, you have witnessed on a Sunday morning, all of a sudden pop into my head something that I should not say, and I said it. But a lot of us do that. So we need to develop a Christ-like liturgy of conversation. We need to determine that there are some kinds of things we need to always say. We need to always say. We already need to have it in our minds, already realize there are some things that we need to always say, and there are some things that we never need to say. Never, ever, ever need to say. I've been married almost 36 years now, and I have discovered there are some things that I am never, ever, ever, ever supposed to say in my marriage relationship. There is one word that I am never, ever, ever supposed to use and will not use again. It is the word ridiculous. Ridiculous, okay? And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah, it's like, what's wrong with the word ridiculous? It's how I use the word ridiculous. You know, Susan will say something to me and throw out an idea, and I'll be like, that's ridiculous. And you can see, you know, all of a sudden she'll pivot and look at me like, what'd you say? And I'm like, uh, uh, (laughs) it's a fiddler crab. Look at that, fiddler crab. You know, it's it's like ridiculous. I'll tell you what, the worst I've ever used the word ridiculous, and... um. Uh, so my wife came out in the morning, and she had an outfit on. <laughs> okay. okay, now ladies, you have got to, don't look at me with those judging eyes. I haven't even said it yet, okay? But, all right, so she comes out with this outfit on, and it didn't really match, okay? But I got the, you know, what do you think of this outfit? You know, and she, you know, gave me the, the look, and I'm like, okay, um, yeah, yeah, okay. And she goes, I'm not sure I like it. And then I'm like, all right, well, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. Honey, you look good in anything. It's like, well, yeah. She goes, oh, I'm going to change. So she comes back, and she changes. And I saw, wow, I'm out of it. I'm so good. I'm, I was like, she comes back with this. I'm going to wear this. And I'm like, that looks so nice. She goes, yeah, I think that's nice. So I, just as an idiot, cannot stop. And I say, yeah, because that last outfit was ridiculous. And I thought, I thought it was like, you know, no, it was one of these cases where you, and it drops right there. It's like, I thought I was far enough away from the first outfit to be able to say the word ridiculous, but I was not, and I blew. So there are some things in life, uh, from the standpoint of what we know about Christ-likeness, that we should always say, and some things that we should never say. Paul said it this way in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always, always, not on Sunday morning, always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Like that's our liturgy, 
Let everything, I mean, that challenges what's popping into your head, what you think is right. That challenges sarcasm. It challenges everything. It's like whatever you think, whatever your speech gives grace uh, that will season another person's life, which is how you should respond to that person. Let's go with that liturgy. He said it in another place. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. It's like the worst verse in the Bible. It's the most, I, I hate this verse in the Bible because as a former northerner, I have been here over 40 years. So give me a break, okay? I mean, I've been here as long as some of you have been alive. But there are some words in the northeast in Boston that we don't consider cuss words. And you southerners don't like these words. Um, I like these words. But according to the apostle, he says, don't let, whether you're a southerner or a northerner, that doesn't determine what words you use. It's whether or not it is wholesome before God. Is it, a, is it the kind of word that brings grace into the situation? He goes on to say, but only speak a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Wow. That is a liturgy right there. That's how we determine it. You know, because the power, the, our words have so much power. You know, I used to have this really beautiful red oak tree in my yard. And um, this is what happened to, to my big red oak. It was gorgeous. I mean, huge. Real estate agent told me that this tree alone added about $25,000 to my property value. It was a couple hundred years old, and it was gorgeous. But you know what? Those workers didn't kill this tree. And the dozens of hurricanes that this tree stood in front of did not kill this red oak. And the harsh summers and the winters of Charleston, they didn't kill this oak either. Let me show you what killed this oak. That little guy right there. That is called a two-lined chestnut border beetle. That little beetle is about like that long. And what we notice is that this beautiful red oak with its sprawling uh, limbs, and uh, all of a sudden the leaves all together just turned brown in the middle of the spring. And I was like, okay, there's something not going on here. Beautiful, powerful tree and all the leaves start falling out of it. So I got an arborist, and the arborist said, I think I know what your problem is. And so we started walking around the perimeter of the tree, and we noticed, and he was looking for it, And because I asked him, I said, what are you looking for? He goes, I'm looking for about a quarter inch to a half inch hole. And so we walked around, and sure enough, there was a quarter inch hole about that big, perfectly round. He said, yeah, you have a two-line uh, chestnut border beetle. And I said, well, what, what, what do we do? He's like, nothing. This tree's, this tree's a goner. I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Once they get in there, they affect the, uh, the way that the vascular system inside the tree operates, and it, and it shuts the tree down from the inside. And I was like, this thing stood during Hurricane Hugo. This, this stood during Class 4 hurricanes. I've lived there and seen this thing go through. And you're telling me a little beetle just killed my magnificent tree. The point is this, is that it only takes one 
callous word to bore its way into the heart of somebody that you live with, that you, that you see every single day or in a relationship with, and it will kill it. And it will kill it from the inside out. I mean, just think about the way that you've been offended by people. Most of you, you know, if somebody dresses inappropriately, we kind of get over that, don't we? You know, I mean, it's like, well, that's, that's you know, inappropriate, you know. Uh, I mean, like, as an old-timer guy, you know, you see a guy wearing a hat in a, in a building, you know. We used to, us old-timers were kind of like, you took your hat off. But, you know, it's not like it's an offense. I mean, it's like no big deal. You know, maybe you see somebody whose skirt's a little short or something like that, and it's like, well, power to you. But, you know, it's not like it, it, it's an affront to you as a person. But somebody says the wrong word to you, it bores its way into your into the core of who you are as an individual and will begin to eat that relationship. I mean, how many times have you been like, like, you know, you're acting a little weird, you know? It's like, what happened? I, and it's like, well, you remember a year ago we were at the family reunion and, and you said something. Really? I don't, I don't remember what I said. Because you don't, because it was only that big. It, it, was, it was just a little, it had the word chestnut in it. I mean, how can something with the word chestnut in it kill a tree? I mean, chestnuts come off of trees. You would think it would be, you know, congruent with the life of a tree. But that's the thing. We will let a word that we haven't thought of, the one that popped into our head, our sarcastic way of uh, liturgy of communicating, our superior way of thinking, and just it puts it in there and it kills the tree. An unbridled, unchecked, unrepentant, unforgiven word spoken can fester and rot the best relationship. The liturgy of how we converse is very, very important. Um, and, I, and, I, and I constantly look like, how, sh- how should I talk? Because you and I could have a long conversation about what are cuss words, right? I mean, how many of you were born and raised in the South? Oh, man, that's why I feel so good in here. I mean, that's, man, I love the South, man, I do. I, I mean, I lo- love my New England Patriots and my Red Sox, but... I, I do love the South, but, and so we could set it up and we could make a list of what we consider to be a cuss word. And we could argue over whether or not it's a cuss word or not. I mean, for the Northeast, we think whenever you say, bless your heart, we think you've cussed at us, okay? Uh, we know that you're hiding something. Uh, but the Apostle Paul says, listen, no, no, we need a timeless liturgy for all people. And so I look for this timeless, instead of saying what words can I say or can't say, Proverbs 15, 23 says this, a man has joy in giving an appropriate answer. And how good and delightful is a word spoken at the right moment, how good it is. I'm telling you what, when your heart is searching for the right word of the moment, a good word, a word that gives grace, all those lists of cuss words or inappropriate words, You don't even think about them. You're looking for the word that edifies in this moment. But yeah, but what about in this situation? No, the apostle said, always be seasoned with grace. Yeah, but you don't know my boss. Always seasoned with grace. But you don't know my husband. You don't know my dad. Always seasoned with grace. So our liturgy of conversation needs to be uplifting or healing. So one of the things that I I find is important in, in a liturgy of conversation is to pursue FaceTime. And this is why it's so important for us to 
communicate with each other. See, the Bible story starts off in the Old Testament, and we get, we get 632 precepts from God. We get 10 commandments, and we get them on stone, and, uh, and they're kind of sent down with Moses. And, and so rightness is communicated to us. Um, so we get the right message. We get, they got some eating habits. They got some dress habits. They got how they should socialize habits. They've got these, ten, these tablets of, of 10 commandments on how to be, behave. But it doesn't seem like that works real well. At least it didn't work on our side. We needed something else from God to actually get it in, for, us to be, for it to become believable. You know, something that we could actually incorporate into our life. What had to happen? FaceTime. FaceTime. John 1.14 says this, and the word became flesh. Just think about that. See, this is the idea of, it's not about just knowing the right thing as a parent or uh, knowing what's true. It's the idea of the word becoming flesh. What is that implying? Uh, it's implying conversation. Is that um, truth needs a faith. And when truth has a face, it is more believable. Uh, it's more relational. The power of word, and they, it goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But I love this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, your word is becoming flesh and dwelling among you. Do you like what you're saying? because it's dwelling around you. If it's sarcasm, then it is becoming flesh and dwelling among, around you. It could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your coworkers, but, but your word becomes flesh. It is so important that God sends his son so that the word can become flesh. And the reason why this is, this is a paramount issue is because some of us don't think we need to talk Okay, you're an introvert. You scored on the Myers-Briggs, you know, and the disc assessment came up and said you're an introvert. That's fine. You don't ever have to stand up here on a Sunday morning and never talk to the, to the class, okay? So you don't, have to, you don't have to be the life of the party. Cool, no problem. You don't have to like being in big crowds. No problem. We're, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about talking to that one loved one, that son, that daughter, that grandchild. That person you work with every single day of your life, this isn't an issue of whether or not you're an extrovert or an introvert. The question is, is are you going to put a face on your life? Are you going to put a face on your word? Are you going to communicate to the people around you? And the thing is, it's almost as if, and I hate to use the word need, so don't quote me on this word, but it's almost like 10 stones didn't get it done. The word had to have a face in order for it to get done. And your marriage is not going to get done just because you have a document that said you got married in 1981. It's only gonna get done when your word becomes flesh. When you and your wife talk. I don't like talking. Well, I hope you like being alone. It's like, but you got married and, and, and God became flesh and he spoke and the word became flesh. And I love it because a lot of us are like, well, I talk. Well, that's where the last part of that verse. 
He came and became flesh and was full of grace and truth. What's your marriage look like? Is it full of grace and truth? Maybe you're talking and you're saying stupid things. Maybe you're just running your mouth. Maybe you're just fighting all the time. Well, I'm just going to speak my mind. Your mind is way overrated. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. It's way overrated. You want something better than your mind. You want the mind of Christ. You want the mind of God in your marriage. How else can two brilliant people who love each other get along unless they have a greater mind than their own? And Jesus came to put a face on the word, to converse, to be dwell among us full of grace and, and truth. This is what we're called to. This is the power of the word when it has a face, when it has when it's full of grace. So here's some places where this liturgy happens. It happens in the car. Every one of us, we get in the car. Um, we're always moving. Use those moments to speak grace and truth over your kids, over your, your loved ones, over the person that you're riding to work with. I mean, driving in the car is a beautiful time for you to be able to communicate some truth to someone that you love. Invite someone for a ride. When I was younger and my kids were younger, uh, the trip to Lowe's was the thing. Uh, that's what we did. And uh, when I went to Lowe's, I never went to Lowe's by myself. I always invited um, someone along for a ride. Now, I want to go to Lowe's by myself. I do. Um, I want to go, go through, I want to look at these stupid little socket sets, you know, and look at them and be like, hmm. You know, that's interesting. And, and I wanted to, then I want to go to this other row and look at that bucket. That's an interesting bucket. Huh, it's got a hole at the top. That's an interesting bucket. They all have holes at the top. Just want to let you know. Okay. But what I, it happened this Saturday. I got up and we're sitting there having coffee at 8 o'clock, me and my wife. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to run the Lowe's. And she said, okay, you want some company? And that's like, Whoa. It's like. She wants to talk. She wants time. And I am, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm like working it out in my head. So I will say, hey, well, you think you'd be ready to go anytime soon? You know? <laughs> Without using the word ridiculous. <laughs> so it's like, a, um, and I said, how much time are you going to need? Because you don't want to su suggest how much time she needs. So uh, she got, I need 45 minutes. And in my mind, I'm like, I, I have this I, neurotic idea that everybody's going to be at Lowe's by 9 a.m. And that if I get there too late, it'll all be gone or I'll be waiting in line or I won't get my veteran's discount or something like that. And so I'm like, 45 minutes. And it's like, dude, what are you about? Word become flesh dwelt among us full of grace. You need to let your wife know that she's welcome on this trip. I feel like I don't want her there. Is this tempo is the issue. And, uh, but got to ask yourself, is that what your life is about, tempo? I, I mean, buy yourself a metronome. You want, want tempo? It will do it all night for you. Boom, 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 boom. But if you want a marriage with intimacy and with love, and mutual dignity and respect, then you've got to create spaces for the ride where you can have conversations. Uh, then there's mornings and evenings. Laying in bed, tucking in, walking the dog or letting the dog out, 
Um, resolving the day with words of grace and peace. Resolving it, speaking over your children, talking to your kids about, hey, you know, I know we argued about your, your test exam. Just wanna let you know, um, you're still the best thing I ever wanted you to be. What's that, Dad? My son. You say that over it. You say that over a son or a daughter every night, and I'll tell you what, you will have prepared them to face the world. And so these are moments when you can, you know, me and Susan, every night, we, we go to bed, we hold hands, and there's a lot of people like, and, and there are times when I just, she doesn't want to talk to me, and I don't want to talk to her. You know what I mean? If, uh, anybody else have that experience? Where you just kind of like, <laughs> it's too bad, we have to sleep in the same bed, but it's like, that's what we got. And so I grab her hands and I'll be like, uh, dear God, I just pray that, you know, we haven't really performed real well today. We haven't had a good day. And then I'll say, Susan, uh, I love you. Um, I know we're not in agreement right now, but I just want to let you know I love you. I tell you what, you want to change the way the morning rolls, then do liturgy at night with your, with your loved ones. Another thing is special outings. Create special outings. Um, there are a lot of things we could get done that other people slow us down, and particularly loved ones, family, little kids. I actually caught this situation being done beautifully by my son-in-law and my granddaughter, Ireland. Now, I'm going to show you a little video because it's only about like 20 seconds long. The audio is terrible, and so I had to put some closed captions on it. I pulled it from my ring system. So it's really bad video, really bad audio. But, you know, I got that notification that somebody's in my driveway. And so I looked, and I saw this little scene. And this little scene um, is Brian and Ireland together. And uh, Brian's working on some stuff in my yard for me. And I just want you to see it. Uh, let's watch it together. They get too much rain, they can't hold it anymore, and they let it all go. So, I'm trying to pick up these rocks and put them in there. So, I know it doesn't look like much to you. They're just walking in the back in the driveway. But she asked him, what's a rain cloud? And Daddy took the time to explain that, that clouds hold rain. I mean, think about it. You're four years old. You're about that tall. And these large, dark, dark objects float over your head. And as far as you've seen in every Disney movie, there are dragons in those clouds. <laughs> and to have a dad say, no, clouds hold water in it, rain in it, and then when it's too much, it lets it go. And then to hear the shovel that dad's still doing his work, but little Ireland is walking along the way. See, we need to slow down to have these kinds of conversations. Your kids need to learn about sex from you. You can moan and complain about the public system all day long, and I don't agree with what's being taught, but it would not be an issue if you and I, as mom and dads, would have these conversations first. Well, they're too awkward. It's like, no, no. We gotta be willing to pay the price to have these conversations, create these moments uh, together, these special outings, these strategic one-on-one. -on -one. With my kids when they were growing up, and I'm at 
it's not like I did this perfect or anything, but it's like we had secret places where Deanna had a secret place, Ireland, I mean, uh, uh, Morgan had a secret place, and Dawn had a secret place, and we, we would go, when the girls wanted to talk to me, we went to our secret place. And the other girls didn't know where their secret place was. I actually have photos of where their secret place uh, were. It's like a, two neighborhoods ago in my life. And it's like, those are the places where they would meet with me and they would talk to me about boys. They would talk to me about life. They would talk to me about everything. But we had that place to have these conversations. Moving real quick, you need to have conversations across generations. I noticed that some of you are my age here, okay? Grandparents, uh, don't let yourself become irrelevant. Don't. I'm giving you a tip you need to have, and this will work, because you need to have conversations with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Here's how you do it. I know they don't want to talk to you. I know they're busy. I know they're running. You need to go to Walmart today and buy yourself a Nintendo Switch. And I'm not lying. I did it. Last week, I went and got me a Nintendo Switch. And I'm learning as fast as I can how to play Super Mario 3D uh, and Bowser's Fury. Okay? Um, and and I'm, I'm learning how to jump. You know, get stars. Why am I doing this? Is it because I'm a nerd? A little bit. Because when I'm sitting with my grandkids, that's where they're going to tell me about their girlfriends. That's where I'm going to have conversations about what they want to be when they grow up. I am learning their language so that I can speak my language. Jesus came to earth and he spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, and probably a little Greek. Why? Because that's what the people around him spoke. I don't think he spoke Russian. There weren't any Russians around. He learned the language of the people around him, and he's spoken to the language. So if you're a grandparent here, your job's not over with. Learn, buy yourself a Nintendo Switch, and invite your grandkids. And the great thing about the Switch, especially if you have Minecraft, they don't care. It doesn't matter how old they are. They all like to play Minecraft. How about anybody here play Minecraft? Yeah, there we go. Look at them. Yeah, 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 Minecraft. So, but look for ways to have conversations um, cross-generation. Speak in hurting moments. And then also one of the more important ones, and I'll close with this, is model vulnerability and honesty in your conversations. With each other, with your grandkids, with your spouse, with your friends. Share your heart in an honest moment. Um, It helps people become real and feel safe and open around you. God became a man. I mean, he took on us. And, and that made a difference. That made him approachable. That, made, that, mean, that meant he knew what it was like to be one of us. I want you to hear this moment um, that's written by a hero of the Bible. And it's one of my favorite passages of the scriptures. It's not going to be Daniel in the lion's den. It's not going to be Moses leading the people of Egypt, I mean of Israel through the Red Sea. It's going to be of a man who totally transformed the Mediterranean region with the gospel of Jesus, preaching it to all people. But I want you to hear this. I love this moment. He's penning this letter and he's writing it to his like 25-year-old friend. 
He himself is probably my age. He's sitting in prison and it's not looking really good for him. So he writes a letter to this young guy, his friend. He says this, make, it, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Titus has gone to Maltatia, and only Luke is with me. And when you come, bring that cloak or jacket which I left at Troas, and the books, especially my parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. At my first offense, no one, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it be counted against them. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul writing one of the last moments of his life. And I love it because what we'll normally do, we'll read it like this. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May the Lord not count it against them, but I stood strong because I'm stronger than all and I'm great and I'm imperfect and I'm invincible. No. He's writing to this guy out of a cell of momentary depression. Everybody's left me. There's nobody here. Bring my stuff. Oh, yeah, my stuff. A jacket and some parchment. If you could bring that. I really would like you to get here before winter if you could. Everybody has deserted me. And then he gets to this place where he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom you know what he's realizing I'm not getting out of this alive he said I'm not getting out of here this is my end and I cannot tell you I know Paul's been right a million times in all of his epistles but this power of authenticity and honesty makes me believe all the rest of it see some of us we're afraid to be vulnerable we're afraid to be authentic people will never talk to you if you remain shrouded in perfection or hiding in your authority and I love it Paul just puts it out there yeah they all left this is it if you could come by winter, that'd be awesome. I just need a jacket and some letters I wrote. I'd really appreciate it. It's like, it's like the next moment for me is for God to take me into his heavenly kingdom. And I know we had full confidence in that, but I love that honesty. The greatest power of, con of um, conversing with other people is not rightness. It's authenticity. It's honesty. Dads, the greatest thing you can give 
is not the facts to your son. It is your vulnerability to your son. Just be vulnerable in front of him. Just tell him, yeah, I used to have a problem with that. I struggled. Matter of fact, I still struggle with that. I mean, wow. You don't have to, conversation doesn't mean you have to have all the right answers. The reason why I do my job is not because I'm, I am theologically correct and philosophically astute all the time. I mean, it's not. Most of you people don't come here because you think, well, that coming, he's the smartest pastor I've ever heard. You know, um, I'll tell you, I haven't been to seminary. Did too many drugs. Just up the head a little bit too much. The reason why you come is because the word of God is spoken here and I'm authentic. I'm honest. I struggle just like you do. Um, I suck at things. I do some pretty good things. I'm wrong a lot, but I don't hold my head down long. I fail. You say, wow, what is that about? It's like, because God wants me to be an example to you to dare to drop the guard. You're hiding. You're hiding. Some of you are so pretty and so handsome. I mean, Joe is ripped over there. Some of you are business leaders and wealthy and educated, but you're scared to death to not be. If you lost your job, it would be the end of your mind because you need your job to make you you. And it's like, let me just tell you, that's not what your wife wants from you. It's not what your kids are looking for from you. It's not what people around are wanting from you. They want an honest, authentic you. So with your mom or dad, whether you're a boss, you can't show weakness in front of the troops. I don't know about that. There's a time for it. But if we got to get honest in our conversations. And it's going to require you to be vulnerable. Um, Yeah, that's going to be it. I don't think, because I'm looking around here, you're real smart. And you're all articulate. And you're all opinionated. Okay, I mean, you are. I mean, that's good. You all have a thought. But most of you are scared. What if they really find out who I am? You put on your Sunday best. I don't know whenever we bought that lie. You know, like on Sunday, we got to fake everybody else out. So the greatest gift you can give me and you can give one another and you can give your children, you can give your spouse and you can give your friends is having conversations of honesty. Everybody's deserted me. Please bring my jacket. Come before winter. I'm all alone. That, I'm telling you what, that makes me be able to stand in tough moments to know that the man of God did what the man of God had to do even when he was hurting inside. And here's the thing. He didn't write it to another 60-year-old. He wrote it to a 20-year-old. Talk about generational conversations. I think a lot of us don't have that freedom. So as you come for communion, as you take the bread and the cup and it reminds us of the body and the blood of Jesus, um, take it today remembering 
that the Word of God has a face. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and spoke with fullness and grace. This is not just remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, but remembering the power of divine conversation, becoming real with grace and with, and with truth. Father, thank you so much. And Lord God, I just, I don't, I don't think I'm surrounded with a bunch of prideful, arrogant people today. But I do think a lot of us are afraid We, I think a lot of us are afraid to lose that job. Not because of the money. Some of us are afraid to admit we failed. Not because it isn't forgiven. I think we're afraid somebody will find out about us. And the crazy thing, God, is that we're in a society that is starving from isolationism. Starving because we're alone while we're together. So God, help us to have the liturgy of conversation. To speak a good word in a moment. An honest and true, loving word that builds up and edifies. So today we receive the word of God, not only to save us, but we receive the word of God to speak to others.